0: Well, good morning. Um, it is a privilege uh, to get to bring the Word of God to you today. Um, in many ways, it's, it's a miracle uh, to get to be up here and to preach the Word of God to you. Um, I'm having one of those moments where you kind of just step back and you look at, at where you are and you just go like, how did I, how did I get here? Like, how am I here? Uh, Michelle, my wife, and I, we came to Grace Covenant back in, like, 2005, um, and we're just like many of you, we just uh, wanted church community, family, friendship. We wanted to learn about God, to know him more, and have a place to worship. And um, I remember my first Sunday here, actually. It was in the building right next door, which is now our KB wing. That used to be, that used to be the whole church. And um, I remember my first Sunday so clearly because, um, you know, I was raised in the church, so I've been to a lot of church services. Church wasn't necessarily a new experience for me, but Grace Covenant was new. My parents uh, had found it while I was in college and uh, brought us when we got uh, back from school for a break. And I remember Pastor Brett uh, got up to preach after our worship team. Worship team looked and sounded amazing, just like it always does. Pastor Brett got up, sat on his stool, and uh, he began to preach out of Matthew six thirty three, which, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I remember so clear clearly my, um, I'll just be honest with you, my very kind of like arrogant self, um, I remember sitting back in my chair. Because I was like, oh, I've heard this message. Like... Seek ye first, got it, all right. This will be nice, I'll pay attention, it'll be good. And I remember by the end of that message, I was like, what Bible does this man read and who does he know? Because I've not heard any of that ever preached before in my life. And from that moment, Michelle and I were like, this is our church home, man, there is something happening in the atmosphere, we need to plug into it. Uh, and so we did, so we became members uh, and we started serving wherever we could. Uh, 180, which was our youth ministry at the time, we would serve there as adult leaders, joining small groups, leading small groups, getting plugged in with our marriage ministry here at Grace, our creative arts ministry, just just wherever we could. We just loved God and wanted to serve him and and be in the house of the Lord and and just use our gifts as we could. A few years into that, Michelle would come on staff as the 180 youth administrator. 180 was actually meeting down the street. Uh, No, actually, it was upstairs over there first, and then we went down the street, yeah. Um, And then a few years after that, I would answer what was a decades-long call into full-time ministry and come on staff here. And now here, I stand on a Sunday morning getting to preach the word of God. It's a very kind of um, surreal experience. And it's not just limited to me. Um, you know, Pastor Stephen was the one, was the, when, we, when we came to Grace, Pastor Stephen was the assistant youth pastor that's not a position at churches. Assistant youth pastor is not a thing. Nobody has an assistant youth pastor. He was just so young in his journey as a pastor. We're gonna make him the assistant youth pastor. And now he's planting Grace Covenant Capitol Hill. And you go like you go like how do you how do you get there? For from there, I think about someone like Christine Wilkins, who, um, when I you know, came to Grace, she was just happy to stay behind the scenes, pray for you quietly, but didn't want to talk in front of anybody, and now she's leading our singles ministry, and she's like out there, and she's teaching, and she's leading with grace and with confidence and stepping into, into her calling, and I'm going like, how, does, how do we get from there? How do we get here? I think, like, tell us, tell us was a youth in the youth ministry when I started coming to Grace. He wasn't a youth pastor. He was, he was a youth. He was one of the youths. As we called him, he was in a discipleship group that I led of young, of young men. And now he's preaching sermons at 25 that sound like he's been pastoring for 25 years. And I'm going like, God, how does, how does that happen? How do we, how do we get here? And I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you just step back and you look at what God has done. And you go, how does this, does this happen? I want to share a message with you today called the house my father built. It's from second Samuel chapter 7 you can turn there with me and as you turn there I want to give you a little bit of context um, first service got this question right so we'll see if you guys get it right too uh, the book of Samuel first and second Samuel is all about who it's all about say it together Sam no it's not Samuel um gotcha just like I got first service uh, <laughs> it's written by Samuel it's all about Saul and David thank you for playing along with me guys um First Samuel tracks the rise and the fall of King Saul, Israel's first king. They were, had been uh, led by judges for many years. When you think of judges, don't think of a man with a gavel and a robe. Think of judges was like a shepherd over uh, the people of Israel. Uh, they demanded a king. They got Saul. Saul rose and falled, fell, uh, and that's layered against David's rise and his eventual uh, fall. That's in 2 Samuel. Where we pick up our story in 2 Samuel 7, Saul has passed away. King David has been anointed king over Judah and Israel, so the northern tribes and the southern tribes, which when a king dies, there's you know, chaos and there's another king that was anointed but not in the family, so a very chaotic period, but David has now been anointed king. He moves uh, the people back into Jerusalem. He brings the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into Jerusalem. He's defeated his, the Philistines, his greatest enemy he's ever faced, going even back to his childhood when he defeats Goliath. He has peace on all sides. I mean, times are so good. For for David, in chapter 6, right before this, he's literally dancing before the Lord in his underwear. I mean, times are good when that's how you worship, is all I'm saying, okay? Times were good for David. He was, he was in a great place. And he sits back, and he looks at all that God has done. And he goes, man, I'm in this palace, this cedar, gold, beautiful royal home. And the Lord, my God, is still in a tent. The tent that we moved him through the desert, through the wilderness. And he goes, this is wrong. So he goes to Nathan, his prophet. says, Nathan, I'm going to build God a house, a temple. And Nathan says, yeah, man, go for it. Do whatever you want. Uh, it's, you know, as, no, what he says is, as far as it is with you, do all that is within your heart. Right. Uh, and that night, the Lord comes to, D- to Nathan with a message for David. And it's God's words to Nathan for David that I want to study with you today. So uh, 2 Samuel Chapter 7, looking at verses 4 through 11. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you. That the Lord will make you a house. I love this story. It's one of the pivotal movements in the entire Bible, 2 Samuel 7. It's it's the Davidic covenants where God makes a covenant uh, with David. It's David looking at all that God has done for him how God has been merciful to him, has blessed him, and he goes and does what many of us want to do, I think, when we, when we put things in perspective. We go, I want to bless God. I want to do something for God. I want to give to him. I want to, I want to, I want to pay him back in some way. I want to Maybe, uh, maybe I'll pray more today, God, because you've been good to me. Or as many people say, well, I'm not reading my Bible as much as I should be, but I'm trying to read more. And it's like we want to give this to God because of what he's done for us. And God says, thank you, but did I, did I ever ask you for that? That's not what I asked for. Matter of fact, I'm going to build. I'm going to to build you a house, and I want to look about what it is in David that elicits this response from God, because David's response is contrary to many of ours in our flesh. If we're just honest, when we look at the great things we've accomplished, there's a part of us that takes some pride in that, and we feel like we have done, we've played a very important part in that or there's a part of us that sometimes just forgets we prayed for it all together. Like you'll pray and pray and then it'll happen. You'll be like, Oh, that's convenient. That was that was nice. And you like forget that you've been praying like that like God didn't move in some way. But David has this pure heart that's devoted to God. And as he surveys all that has been done, a response rises up. I want to do something for God. And like, this is me, right? Like I want to, I want to give an offering or I want to serve or I want to, I want to do something for God. Because when I think about God, like you've scratched my back all my life. God, I want to scratch your back. And God looks at you and says, I don't itch though. <laughs> so thank you, but no thank you. And I'm want to understand what it is about God that brings that, brings that reaction out of him. Um, because the heart of the matter is this. God doesn't need your works, but he does desire your heart. He doesn't need your works. God doesn't need you to build him a thing. He doesn't need you to bring him a thing. He doesn't need you to offer a thing. He doesn't, he doesn't need that to accomplish his, his purpose in your life. In fact, if he had needs from you, he wouldn't very much be God, would he? Right? He doesn't need from you. He doesn't need Your works, he is omniscient, omnipresent, all powerful creation lives on the tip of his tongue and in the breath that he breathes, he is outside of time and space. Our feeble minds actually can't even comprehend what I'm saying. These are words. We And it's like, I hope with these words, we can somehow get a glimpse of a picture. But in reality, we know we can't. He's a God who doesn't have needs, but he does have desires. And what he desires is you. In Exodus 10, when he's given the Ten Commandments to Moses, what does he say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and you shall make no carved images and and worship them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am am a jealous God. What's he jealous for? For you for your attention, for your affection, for your heart's devotion. He's jealous for your, for your love. That's what he's after. He doesn't need anything for, from you. He just desires, he desires you. And David, a man who spent so much time in the sheep pen as a shepherd, as a young boy, he cultivated this relationship with God. He spent his time there writing poetry and songs and praying and studying the law and and doing these things that built up a reservoir of love for God. That when he looks at all that has been presented to him, he doesn't boast in his own strength. He says, God, how can I bless you? I want to minister To you, And there's a lesson in this for all of us, which is that when when we come to worship God, like even in the moment we just had, when we're singing and praising, I hope you know that our primary posture before God is that in worship is that we're ministering to God. We're saying things about him. God, you're the same God you were before. You've never lost a battle. God, you are holy and worthy and righteous and merciful and good and just. Our attention is towards him. And then often in the overflow... We get ministered to. And those are the moments in worship when you're like, what is happening? I feel God is breaking something in me. It's as you pour out, then you are filled. As you are sowing, then you begin, you begin to grow. And David, David's posture was that same way. Why? Because David knew God. He knew him. I mean, you can't fake that type of love for God. You can grow in it. Some of you may feel like, man, I don't worship like that. You can grow in it. You may not feel it, but you can grow in it. David cultivated it. And what David teaches us in this moment is that we don't, we don't worship God so that he'll heal us. We don't worship God so that he'll bless us. We don't, we don't praise God so that he'll build us a house. We worship God because he's God. Yeah. And no other reason needed. It's not even about what he's done. Now we have things that we look back on for what he's done and we can add that to the mix, but he's either God or he's not. And I just, maybe we can just pause for a moment to just internalize this truth. I mean, it's not a character in a book. It's not a fiction novel that has this cool God deity, you know, like Gandalf or something. It's like, Ooh, he's, this is the God of all creation, the God of all time, the God of all people. And if he's God, then he deserves to be worshiped. I mean, he's either righteous, just, worthy, holy, and pure, or he's not. But he's not sort of righteous, a little bit holy, and kind of just. He is or he isn't. He's all or nothing. And if he is, and what this book tells me over the course of history is that he is a God like that, then he deserves my worship and my affection. And so that's how I I lead out of a heart that loves God because he's God. The air that I breathe right now is a gift from him. Yeah. All of you, my church family, you're a gift to me from him. Wow. It's the Beautiful family that I have received and we mutually share. It's the overflow of my love for God. I, I give back. I give back to him. Yeah. So how do you cultivate that? Like if you're not. There, Or you're like, I want to be like David. I want to have a spirit among me like David has. Like, like how, do I, how do I reach that level? Well, you fall in love with God. I mean, you give yourself in to him. You hand yourself over. You release the reservations in the secret and in the quiet place, in the doubting and in the shame. You seek him there. And you let him meet you. But the only way you're going to love God like that is to love him. It's to fall in love with him. I know we don't say fall in love here. We say grow in love. So to grow in love with him. But at some point, you've got to, if you've ever been in a relationship, and if you're married, then you know, there's a point where you decide, like, either I love you or I don't. And that's a hard conversation. But sometimes you need to have that conversation. But that's one. But you decide. What do you do? You're opening yourself up. You're letting that other person, you're letting that other person. And I mean, this is who I want to be. A man after God's own heart. A man who doesn't forget his first love. Like, um, tell us a couple weeks ago, he joked about something I, I love to say, which is, I'm just happy to be a door holder in the house of the Lord. And let me tell you, that's not just a cute phrase. That's my testimony. That's the truth about me. If I can just be honest with you. By the time I was 30, I had reached a point in my professional career as a management consultant. I made more money than I ever thought I would make. I was promoted to levels I didn't think I would ever attain. I was on the partner track. Like life was good, man. It was the way was paved. Everything was there before me, and yet every part of my soul was like unsatisfied and unfilled because the demands there. Pulled me from my first love. No, I'm not saying your job is bad and everyone needs to quit and go into ministry. Like you're the called to that or you're not. But you can be a minister in your place of work. But for me, this is my story. This is my testimony. What I had to do there was pulling me out of the places I wanted to be. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't be at small group. I couldn't, couldn't help with marriage. I couldn't do any of that stuff. And I was like just dying on the inside. So what did I do? I gave myself into him. I handed myself over to God. Sacrificed a lot. And what I've got is beyond, is beyond, is beyond compare. That's my story. It's many of your stories too. I'm not, you know, I'm not any better than anybody. This is the testimony of so many in this room. But the place, the way we get to that heart, that desire, that love for God, it's formed somewhere else. It's formed somewhere else. Just the heart to honor God comes from life in the pasture. In verse 8, God says to David, I took you from the pasture. I took you from following the sheep that you should be a prince over my people, Israel. Uh, David grew up a shepherd, if you didn't know this. Um, He was the youngest of his brothers, perhaps Uh, The least of his brothers, certainly in the way that they treated him, he was the least. He grew up in a lonely profession. Shepherds, not a very popular profession. It's a monotonous profession. You're just sitting out in the fields, watching, watching the sheep do their thing, you know, waiting for something bad to go wrong. And then when it's hard, it's really hard. And it's dirty and it's smelly. And you're not just literally clean, you're ceremonially unclean. So you're just cut off from everybody. You're just separated. You're in the pasture. It's a thankless job. It's a job nobody sees and everybody expects, and no one's going to appreciate. And in his pasture is where David worked on the muscle that gives us the psalms. In the pasture is where David worked on the muscle that made him a king of faithfulness, of devotion, of hard work, of caring for others. And I think many of us find ourselves in a pasture where we're just out there, we're just shepherding the sheep. We're just trying to make it one day to the next day. The pasture, for us, it's the unseen, seemingly small places that only God sees you in. That you do what nobody sees but everybody expects. Moms, I'm looking at you. From the minute you open your eyes in the morning to the minute you close them at night, your day is spent giving and giving and serving and driving and cleaning and fixing and stopping fights and, and correcting and cleaning again and trying to find time for yourself to get dressed and and are just your whole day is giving with these little rug rats. In my house, they're little rug rats. So for some of you, they're older and they're much smellier because, anyways. Um, but you're you just <laughs> you're just you're just like is anything I'm doing does it matter? Like nobody sees this, nobody's thanking me for this. Nobody's nobody's appreciating my labor. Men, I see you. You're 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 trying to build your career. You're trying to be a provider. You're trying to establish a name for yourself, yet you're trying to battle the fleshly temptations of this world, yet walk as a kingdom man, and you're trying to balance all these plates, and you're just like, does does anybody does anyone appreciate this? Does anyone see this? Because I'm doing all this. Does it does it matter? If you're single, you just went through one of the loneliest and most difficult years of your life. Seeking God in the lonely places and in the quiet places like, is this going to end? Does it matter? God, do you, why am I even doing this? It's so much easier to give up. Married people, single people, you think you got it hard. So I've heard. It's been great for me. I don't have any issues. But I've heard other people have a hard time in marriage. And so I imagine for some of you, it's difficult. And I get that. (laughs) But you take two sinful people and you mash them together. And it's like, here you go, live life together. Take that filter off and just get in there and mix it up. And you're going, man, I'm trying to control my tongue. I'm trying to love my wife. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to serve my husband. Does it matter? I don't know if things are getting any better. Maybe you're older. Maybe you're younger and you're just in a pasture. You're just, in the, you're just in the thick of it. You're just working and you're trying, and doesn't matter. The pasture is a lonely place, it's an isolated place. It's often a dirty place. It's a place of unanswered promises, of unmet expectation. It's a place of laboring and yearning and striving and looking and waiting and wondering. And yet princes are formed in pastures. And what God has for you, he's forming in you in your pasture. David was made unto a king in the pasture. He didn't wait for God to anoint him to begin preparing. He began preparing in the sheep pen. He began writing and singing and loving the Lord when he was all by himself. And in that place is where God cultivated and drew out and developed the character within him with which he could trust him with the kingdom. And I wonder, what is God drawing out of and developing in you today in your pasture and are you allowing him to because if we look at just what's before us and it's hard and it's and it's just tough and it's thankless like i get it i get it the daily disciplines of resisting temptation of seeking god of striving to do what's right of swimming upstream it's hard it's hard but if that's your vantage point You miss all that God is trying to accomplish and all that God is trying to do. His princes are formed in his pastures. God has given you an inheritance for you to receive, and it's being cultivated in you now. The Lord says to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. He tells him that I've I've always been with you from then until now. He tells him, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to establish your kingdom in the earth. I'm going to make a place for my people where they have peace. He's just lavishing blessing and mercy and kindness over David. And then he says the craziest thing in the whole passage. Verse 11. He says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Remember how we started? David looking at all that God has done for him, all that God has been to him and going, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to bless God. I'm going to make you the best temple the world has ever seen. And God says, man, thank you. But I asked for that. And instead I'm going to build you a house. This is like off the top rope WWE reversal. It's the turnaround. It's the flip them over. It's the what is happening. God undermining our expectations yet again. Like who is this God? And I wonder like why though? Which is, I think is a good question we should ask of our Bible sometimes. But as I read this and I look, I'm like, man, this beautiful God's going to build me a house. And I go, wait, that, that, that can't be it. That can't be it. So let's. Let's keep reading. We stopped at verse 11. Let's pick up at verse 12. Because the answer to why comes next. Remember, the Lord says the Lord is going to make you a house, verse 12. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish my kingdom, verse 13. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. Verse 16 And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. I wonder if you caught it in there, if you saw it. This passage, those four verses are laced with messianic prophecy, which is just to say they point to Jesus. They beautifully, beautifully, beautifully point to Jesus. God says, I will raise up your offspring. And it's in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve give in to the serpent, who's the representation of evil in the earth, that God speaks to the serpent. And he says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring." And her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God says in Genesis 3, out of the line of humanity will come a child, will come, in, come an offspring who will defeat evil in the world. He will crush the head of the serpent. And while doing so, a fatal blow will be delivered to his heel. Does that is that ringing any bells for us? Anybody? He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And when Jesus shows up in the gospels, what's his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I mean, the imagery, it's just, it's oozing off the page of what God is saying. Now we see it in hindsight. David doesn't see it in the moment. He thinks his literal son will build the temple, which which Solomon does. But why does God bless David so abundantly? It's not for David's sake. It's not about David's family in that moment. It's not about that period in time in Jerusalem in a temple. David had generations within him that needed to be birthed and needed to be blessed. And so God establishes a covenant with David because the messianic king, the one from whom all of scripture points, our great redeemer is going to come from his line. So God says, I'm going to bless you and cut covenant with you and establish something with you that will never end. Not for you. For Jesus which means that God's promise here is for every single one of us today. I mean, this is a God who is who is outside of time. When he says, "David, I'm going to build you a house," he's not talking about wood and brick and mortar. He's talking about his dynasty, his legacy, his lineage and his heritage. And this is the same calling and destiny that God has for us. There is something within us that needs to be birthed and blessed, and it's not limited to what's right in front of us. It carries on much further. And whether that's children or your family or your community or your career or whatever it is, we must lift our eyes off of what's before us and see that the purposes that God has for us, his faithfulness to us, his loving kindness for us is not just for us. The purposes of God are not limited to you. They're limited by you. What he has set out to accomplish in you. It's not just for you. It's not limited to you. He's not trying to make tell us happy. So tell us can just be happy. Not trying to make me happy so I can just be happy. His purposes are not limited to us. They're limited by us when we don't see that God is a God of generations and legacy and lineage and years to come. There is something greater that he is doing in us in the earth. And at Grace Covenant, we either clap or we don't clap. So we're going to praise God. Let's praise God. All right. (laughs) It's not because the preaching is so good, it's because God is so good. God cuts covenant with David, and the covenant He makes with David prepares the way for Jesus. That's right. And I hope for you this morning, as you're hearing this, that that same covenant that God makes with David he wants to make with you, and I'm hoping in your heart it's doing the same thing then uh, same thing now that it do- did then, is that it makes way for Jesus two more thoughts i want to give you in the chapters following this passage this is chapter 7 in the chapters to come david commits his most egregious and most famous sin and moral failing he takes another man's wife for his own and has that man murdered in war i mean a stunning and epic moral failing like unbelievably Crazy, And yet God's covenant with David never changed. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what's in your present. And I don't know what failings you'll have in the future. But what I know is that God redeems all of it. All of it. All of it, your deepest hurt and your greatest regret, your deepest wound, your biggest moral failing. God redeems it. And although we walk away from him, he never walks away from us. He is a God of covenantal love. He gives us Jesus to be the better David. David is not the star of this message, okay? David is the example we can can look to. But Jesus comes and does what? Lives his life in the sheep pen as a carpenter. 30 years of forming character, of of being, you know, not the star of the show, even though he was God. Jesus comes and he overcomes the temptation that David couldn't. And he paves the way for us before us of the better David, of the one that we can put our hope in, that we can put our trust in. This is how this story ends. After David takes Bathsheba, that child dies, but David takes her as his wife. They have another child. His name is Solomon. Solomon is born out of David's greatest failure, out of his biggest mistake. Solomon is born out of the worst place of his life, in this constant reminder of his failing. And yet Solomon grows to be the one who completes the temple that David said he would start. And in Psalm 127, Solomon speaks these words. It's the whole message. It's the whole message. Solomon writes this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If God is not the one building your house, let me say it like this. My hope for you Today, Washington, D.C. area natives just like me, two hands firmly fastened to the wheel of our lives, knowing exactly where to go, what moves to make and when. My prayer for you today is that you would release control of your life and surrender it to God because his plans for you are far greater his purposes you can't even see what he's trying to do and if you want to look back on your life and see the miraculous testimonies of a faithful god then you must give him complete control because unless the lord builds your house all who labor labor in vain i think that's a good place to stop so let's pray Father God, we love you because you are a good God. You're a faithful God. You're far too faithful and you're far too good for us. And yet you're merciful and your loving kindness extends beyond our wildest dreams. Lord, I thank you for the love that you show to us day in and day out. If you're here today watching online and you either want to start your relationship with Jesus afresh, start it for the first time, or you want to restart it, because the way you've been living and the way you've been building has not been the way that God has instructed it and you just need a hard reset. Would you just, would you just slip your hand up right now in the room or would you uh, click the raise my hand button in the chat online? It's never a bad time to make a good decision. I see that hand. Thank you. Praise God. I see that hand as well. Would you just pray this prayer with me? As God has established a covenant with David by word, we return that in this moment. And this prayer that we pray is just that it's our declaration of our commitment to God. So pray this with me. God, I thank you for your never ending, never failing loving kindness. I repent of the life that I've lived as I have turned from you and walked in my own strength, God. Today, I'm stopping, I'm turning and I'm walking towards you. I confess Jesus as the Lord of my life, and I receive him as the Savior of my soul. Help me to walk according to your will this day and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank God for those who are getting right with the Lord by a round of applause? We thank God for what he's doing.